Thank you, thank you. Well, it's really nice being back home. You know, I've been living in El Salvador for three years now, and there's no place like home. And this is my house. For all of you that don't know me, my name is Art. I got several posy, and David one wanted me to share in my testimony. There's a lot of people nowadays saying, "So when does life begin for an infant? It's in the womb, or when he's." He's born. Well, God answers this in Jeremiah 1, 5. Please listen with me to Jeremiah 1, 5. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I identified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Then I say, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you to go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you should speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Like I say, this answers that question, that life begins in God's mind even before he formed us. And that's where my life begins. My life started a month before I was born. You see, my mom was going to the last checkup at the doctor. And in El Salvador, like any other place in Central America, there's more people than buses. So she was trying to get out of the bus when the bus driver took off. He never saw her get out because she didn't get out on time. So the bus takes off. She falls on the ground. There is this eight and a half pregnant woman getting her st stomach on the ground. Since that day, I didn't move ever again in my mother's womb. My mother went to the doctor and they checked her out and they said, Oh, it's okay. 
you're doing fine. The baby's fine. Everything is fine. For the next month and a half, my mother had this dream of presenting myself before an image of Christ. The way I was born, lifeless, without an emotion. So she's dreaming this dream, and she's like, wait a minute, I, they told me I was two on the 17th of March. It's April already, and the baby hasn't come yet. So my mother went to labor April 14. I was supposed to be due in, in March 17. When I was born, they tried everything to, to help me out, to keep me alive. I, I didn't cry, I didn't move, I didn't do anything except for one little heartbeat that you can barely notice. So for three days, they tried to do everything they could for me. And back in 1976, yes, I'm all 76. They didn't know any better with medicines and stuff. So on the fourth day, my grandma came and picked me up. And my grandma tells me that she wanted to go into the little class they have for new mothers. How to feed, how to take care of your newborn. And she was going in, in, in there, and somebody told her, hey, you cannot go in there. And she's like, why I cannot go? They told her, in three days, your son is going to die. If for the miracle, your son does not die. He's never going to speak. He's never going to even open his eyes. He's going to be stuck in bed for the rest of his life. So my grandma, with tears in her face, grabbed me and took me home. On the way to the house, we took a taxi. And in the taxi, my eyes was open. I started to look around. I started to come to. And from that point on, everything seems normal. Everything seems like I was going okay. Until they tried to set me up. When they tried to set me up, I would fall down. And they're like, what's going on? 
they took me to the doctor and the doctor told him he got cerebral palsy. For those that don't know what cerebral palsy is, it's something that you cannot control your nerve system. It's due to a fall. It's due to many things. But your nerve system is not controlled by you. That's why I shake a little. That's why my voice trembles a little. Because I'm nervous and I don't control it. What are the things I don't have joy in? It's trying to grab a glass of water because I cannot control my nerves. So they told her that, and, and we went home because they told her, there's nothing to do here. Just let it, let it see how he develops. When I was around six months old, I, when I was around seven months old, my father came back. My father was in Brazil all this time. Before I was born, my father says, he's gonna be like me. He's my pride and joy. But when he came back, and started noticing that I couldn't sit up by myself, that I couldn't walk when I had to walk. I came to walk at five years old. Five. That I couldn't pronounce words right. My father got angry with me. You see, in his mind, he thought he's faking everything. He just wants attention. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him normal by beating him up. So every time I would say the words the wrong way, he would beat me up. And he would beat me up not with the belt, but he would use like a stanchion cord, peel it off, and beat me up with that. For years, in my back, and in my, in my thighs, I had the marks on my dad. Like I said, when I was five, I started walking. And I would stand up like this. Just because I couldn't, I couldn't hold on, I couldn't stand up by myself. And if you would blow, blow on me, I would fall. That's how weak my legs were. So for me to have 
balance. That's the way I had balance. That is the way I felt safe. Well, my dad didn't like that. So he took two big drums and glued one here and one here. So when I wanted to go this way, the thorns were under my legs and would, I would bleed. That's happened time and time again. Would I, he would beat me up trying to fix me, trying to fix my disability. I remember going out that it was the same thing. People in the street would say, here comes the little drunken boy. Here comes the retarded kid. And I would hear that and get mad at myself for being disabled. I would get mad at my dad for beating up. And I would get mad at God for allowing me to leave. So my mother was not a Christian at the time, but one thing she always said to me, God wants something with you. God wants to do something in your life. And I would look at her and be like, no. God doesn't want me. God doesn't even love me. He hates me. When I was seven, in school, I met this beautiful little girl. Beautiful, why? Because she has the greatest smile in the world. And I'm like, wow, I love that smile. I love that little girl. But the second thing that I loved about her that she was the only one who saw me as the same as her. She was the only one who saw me as normal. And I'm like, wow, my first real friend. And we became friends and we talked and I started to like her more and more, and she was so beautiful. But a year later, my mom took me to another school, trying to get away from my dad. Took me to live with my grandmother, trying to get away from my dad. It didn't work. My dad would show up in my grandmother's house and beat me up. 
So when I was nine, my mother goes, that's it. I'm tired of this. If I don't do something, he would kill my boy. If I don't do something, he will not stop beating my boy up. And my dad is, I'm doing it all for him to be normal, to be like everybody else. So when I was nine, my mother took me and brought me to the States, to LA, and away from my dad. We never heard about my dad again. And I started a new life. So I thought, to make friends here, I would have to eat trash. I would have to drink water from the ground just to make friends. I just wanted somebody, anybody, to be my friends. And they, will, they would laugh at me. Look at that retarded kid trying to please us by eating trash, drinking from the ground. With those things, more and more I was getting mad of God. I was more and more away from God. Don't even talk to me. My mom's like, please, God wants you. God wants to have a relationship with you. Remember, she wasn't a Christian. Mean, I'm like, no, I don't want nothing to do with them. I always knew there was a God, but I always ran away from God. When I was about 13, 14, I met this nice neighbor of mine. He would invite me to play in his house. He would invite me to, to, to speak with him. And we all speak for hours. And I'm like, wow, I truly needed this. I needed someone that would listen to me and would give me affection and love until one day he took me into his house and took advantage of me. Until one day he did the unthinkable with me. That day, I felt shame. I felt lower 
than dirt. That day I felt like I shouldn't live anymore. Life for me was an error. Life for me was something that I shouldn't have. So you know what? I did what most people do when they feel that way. I tried to kill myself twice. The first time I couldn't cut my veins. The second time my mother walked on me. And after that, I'm like, okay, so I cannot even kill myself. I cannot even do that right. Okay? When I was 16, I started going up to nightclubs. I started to go out dancing. I love to dance. Dance is one of my favorite things to do. But that's not the main reason why I started going out dancing. I started going out dancing because everybody around me in the place was drunk. Yes, everybody looked like me, talked like me, Walk like me. Hey, cool. I'm a part of somebody. I'm a part of a little group. Cool. Nobody said, hey, what's wrong? They would say, so how many beers have you drank? And I'd be like, um, five? But I started to realize that even though I didn't start drinking, I soon I started liking beer. I like beer for two things. When I was drunk, I was someone else. And I forget about all my problems at home. When I was 18, my mother started coming to church in Anaheim. And we lived in L.A. And my mother would get up at 8 in the morning to drive down to a 10 o'clock service. And my mother would make the biggest noise you can ever hear. And I would hate that because here I am getting home at five in the morning like somehow drunk. And my mother wakes me up with all the noise and I'm like, See, I didn't realize at the time my mother did it 
for the reason that I will not be at peace at home. She started leaving without leaving me any food all day long. She would come back around five, and I'm like, where's that food? Nowhere, right? One day my mother goes, if you don't go with me to church on Sunday, you're not going out on Friday. I was going out Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. I would spend like $100 every day. I know that right now we spend $100 going to Jack in the Bags. <laughs> but, but back then, it was, it was a lot of money. So just like, you're not going with them. You're not going out next week. And I'm like, okay. If you put it that way, so kindly so good, then I will come with you, I guess. So, we got to that service, right? And we sat in that box in the corner somewhere. And don't ask me, what did the preacher preach? No, because I don't know. I don't remember. I was sleeping all through the service. The only thing I remember is the pastor just walk up and you can go. That's the only two things I remember. But I remember what happened next. I was going to the bathroom. When I saw a young lady around my age, beautiful, and I'm like, nice. I need to, I need to say hi. So I saw her walking around the church to another building in a little room. And I'm like, should I go in there? I want to meet her. Why not? Let me go in there. As I came to the door, two more girls at the door said, welcome. Give me a big hug and a kiss. And I'm like, I like this. I really enjoyed this. So we were playing in what the youth room and everybody was having fun. The the pastor preached and then he said next week we're going to Big Bear. We're going on the retreat. And I'm like, 
I don't know what a retreat is, but if she's going, then I'm going. So uh, we went to Big Bear, and I'm like trying to get an opportunity to be with this girl by myself. And all day long, there were little Bible studies, and I'm like, when I will get the chance to be with this girl? Come on, stop talking already and give us a free time so I can go and meet this girl. Saturday night came, and they made a bonfire. And everybody around the bonfire was worship, was, uh, was glorifying God. We were uh, about 200 youth at the retreat. The pastor goes, all right, everybody make a line. I want to pray for each one of you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. So I made the line, and I started to notice every person that the pastor would pray for would cry. I'm like, what a wimps, a bunch of wimps that they're why they crying for, I have no idea. The pastor came to pray for the person next to me. I started crying. I didn't know why I wanted to cry. I wanted to dance. I wanted to fly. I wanted to run. Because in me, I felt like this weight, this heavy weight had been lifted from my shoulders and from my heart. I didn't know anything about Christ. Oh, I knew that Christ had changed me somehow. And for the next month or so, they would invite me to different churches to give my testimony out. And I did, and I'm like, I like this. I like this. I really like this. Guys, if you want to get God to stop using you, tell them what I told them. I'm like, you know, God, you need me, right? You're, I'm good. You need me to do my testimony all over the place. So I was, I got exalted myself. The next week, nobody asked me, Art, can you pray for us? Art, can you do the testimony? For three years, 
I had nothing. No one invited me to do anything for God for three years. And that was good. You know why? Those three years, I realized that God wanted to do something in my life. And that God wanted me to look at him like a father. A father, I said to God, yes. So that means if I do things wrong, you beat me up. See, in my mind, a father was somebody who would beat me, who beat people up. In my mind, a father was somebody who screamed and shout. In my mind, a father didn't love their kids. So the Lord transformed me little by little to know the love of a real father, the father of all fathers, God himself. So I learned how to be loved by God and how to love God and behold, God started to use me again. He used me in the greatest ministry ever, watching the toilets in the bathroom. Why the greatest ministry ever? Because you can talk to God as you're cleaning the toilets. And you can praise God as you do all those things. You almost forget about the wonderful smells in the place. I'm just kidding. But slowly but surely, he started using me. I started becoming a leader in the youth group. Now with the knowledge, now with the maturity of knowing that it wasn't just a feeling, an emotion to know God, but it was an everyday thing. My number one prayer from the first time I became a Christian was, God, heal me. You can heal me. I can walk, I can wake up tomorrow and be totally healed. You be you have the power to do that and much more. One day, as I was reading the Bible, God says, I want to use you. I want to take you to other countries so you can give your testimony and you can share with somebody else your life story. 
the number one thing I said is, okay, God, are you going to help me? And he said, no. I want to use you the way you are because I want people to understand that it's not you doing everything. It's me. I went to the, my pastor. I go, Lucas, God is, God is calling me to preach and to teach and to do my testimony. What I do, I cannot talk. I say like, like Jeremiah, I want the youth. I cannot talk. And Lucas said, yeah, you have a unique voice. Unique voice. Thank you, Lucas. Jeez. Then I said, I don't even like my voice myself. No one understands me. And Lucas goes, yes. Not everybody understands you. Thank you, Luca, once again. I feel so much better. No, no, listen to me, listen to me. What I'm trying to say is that if we're in a crowd and I start talking, no one will turn around and see me, but if you start talking, they all gonna turn around and pay attention because your voice carries that authority of having people turn around and pay attention. You know, when he said that, I realized something, that when I'm walking down that street and talking to someone and people sees me, I used to get mad. I used to be like, why, why you're looking at me? Now, I get happy. I have joy because I just wave and smile. Because part of what God wanted to do in my life was through the voice, through the unique voice I have. And it's not because I like it or I don't like it, it's because he wanted that way. He says to Jeremiah, don't say I am a youth. Many, many of us, sorry, many of us may have something we don't like about ourselves. And God said, 
I want to use that. I want to be able to glorify myself through that. So God started to use me in different places, in churches, on TV, on radio, even overseas. God took me to Nepal, to India. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm going to India, right? I'm going to Nepal, right? Where they don't speak English and I don't speak their language either. I don't speak their language either. So how? Sorry. So how can they understand me? But they did. God was in control of everything. They they knew my they knew my story and they were blessed by it. And God took me places that I didn't even understand myself. Wow. But it was God. And then God told me, hey, you need to go to school. And I went to school, Bible school. And I finished my my masters too. And God, when I was about to be done with with the Bible school, God said, "It's time. It is time for what, God? It's time for you to go back." And. Tell your dad that you forgive him. Even though I totally forgave my dad in my heart, even though I totally, I totally said I forgive you, I needed to close that cycle. I needed to close the part of my life. And I went to my dad back in El Salvador and be like, Dad, I forgive you. He cried, I cried, we cried together. And we have a relationship now. We have a relationship not as strong as I wanted to be, but we do have a relationship. He asked me for forgiveness because in his mind, he's to, he was doing what is right. In his mind, he was doing what the only thing he knew how to do. So I forgive him. 
from that time on, I don't remember my dad with any malice, with any hatred, with any sorrow. I remember my dad as my dad. I love him, not because of what he did to me, but because of what Christ did for me. About four years ago, I was in India with Dave. We were going to <laughs> we were going to a youth camp. And I started saying to God, God, you gave me everything in the world I ever wanted. But one thing, my wife went in God. I said, God, I know you heard me say this a thousand times. I leave it in your hands. But this time I do want, I want to leave it in your hands. And you know what, God? I don't want to come and live for five years in India or in Nepal. That's my thinking. I wanted to go back and be there to help others, to encourage others. I talked to a lady in Nepal who ministry was going around Nepal and rescue people with disability. You know, there, your disability is nobody else's fault but yourself because they believe that whatever you did in your life can affect you. So they look at me and they look at everybody else with a disability and be like, you did something wrong in the previous life. So you're that way. So that's what I, I wanted to go to Nepal and help out the lady with those disability people, disabled children. But when I came to the States, when I came back home, I got a message in my, in my messenger. It was an old friend of mine, the little girl that I knew back in first grade, now was a woman, and she was in contact with my aunt, and my aunt said to her, you know, art is not married. Art has always thought of you 
why don't you give them a call? And uh, the girl who's now somebody that was coming out of a bad marriage didn't want anything to do with any guy. But God told her, hey, talk to this guy. He will change your life. And I'm like, okay. So we started talking and she started sharing her, her regret for her ex-husband, her hatred for her ex-husband. And I'm like, Lord, this is my mission with her. I'm going to help her to get through this. So I didn't go and do, hey, let's hook up. No, because to me, I just had one thing to do, and then I would go to Nepal and live for five years there. And I'm like, you need to let go of your hatred. And little by little, I mean, I can tell her heart was changing. Until one day, I can tell she was totally transformed. And I told God, okay, Lord, great. This is my ticket, this is my last day talking to her. And she said, hey, Art, you're not married, right? And you've always been wondering about me because I always told my aunt, how she doing? Is she doing good? Is, is her marriage going good? So she's like, listen, I want to give myself and love another opportunity. And I want to do it with you. I want to give me the chance with you. I went to see her in, in August just to see if things would work out. I went for a week. I came back engaged. <laughs> the next, the next January, we were married. We've been married three wonderful years, and even though our marriage, thank you, even though our marriage is wonderful, there's a lot of work in marriage. I'll leave you with this. 
I don't know where God wants us, wants me to go next. I don't know how God wants me to be used. All I know is that when I when my mom fell down, it wasn't the biggest cursing of my life, but it was one of the biggest blessings of my life because God used that for its glory, and he can use any part of your life, any part of you for his glory. May God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in lives every day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you transform life Regardless of where they've been, you want the best for each one of us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for taking our weakness and turning them into strong things that you can use. Thank you, God, that we're not the one doing all the work but we are the one in your hands, Lord. Thank you, God, that our life belongs to you, Father. In your mighty name, I don't know what your life is like. Oh, I know that since before you were even in your mother's womb, God set you apart. What amazes me is that I'm wicked. I'm a sinful man, and yet God chose it to do something with my life. There's nothing that could stop you from being an instrument in God's heart, in God's hands. Only yourself. May you be here I am, God. Do whatever you want to do with me. And I will promise you this. He will do beyond what you even can imagine or think. Just put yourself in the hands of the Lord. God bless you guys.